So we're going to do it the old-fashioned way. No. I'm going to use the mic. Does anyone know the song? We don't need to play that one. So everyone knows this song. No? Wilson, you don't know this song? Hold on. This is a know it. Wilson knows it. Amen. Wilson, I'm glad you came into the faith, brother. You now get the blessing of knowing that song and what we're about to talk about this morning. Oh, baby. So as you, I, I meant to tell them to wait to put that slide up, but they didn't. So it's okay. I forgive you and I love you. There you go. But our title this morning is, Why Can't I Get No Satisfaction? Y'all say, say that. Why can't I get no satisfaction? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Haven't we had a great past few weeks? Uh, some messages from our amazing pastors on inheritance. Galatians 4 says that we're no longer slaves. Romans 8 says that can't get this mic cord. Romans 8 says that we are not only sons, but we are heirs through God and co-heirs with Christ. Our inheritance is so much more than some heavenly experience to come where we get to play football in heaven's backyard and we get to stuff our faces full of really good food at some giganto table. And Pastor Mike's favorite dream, we get to hop from planet to planet. And I'm not saying we don't get to do those things. I'm saying our inheritance is much bigger than those things. There's an inheritance for us to live in now, and there's an inheritance to come that we will continue to grow into when King Jesus comes back and we rule and we reign with him. And that'll be a beautiful time when it comes, but for right now, we as sons and daughters are going to thrive within the inheritance given to us today. Amen? We've been working hard the past few weeks to help everyone understand that you have an inheritance, period. How many of you, whether you knew it or not, I'm going to say, did not know you had an inheritance? Okay, cool. How many of you needed some clarification on your inheritance? That's more like it. That's why we go through these things. It's not that we're silly, dumb Christians who have no idea what inheritance is. It's that we might not know what all that means for us. Therefore, how can we operate in the fullness of who God called us to be if we don't know what to do? We taught you that you must take ownership of your inheritance because you're sons, not trust fund babies. I mean, was that not a heart-piercing word? 
last week. Sons take ownership and trust fund babies take handouts. I want to start this morning by reading Matthew 5. It'll be on the screen behind me. I'm going to get a little bit, I'm going to be, well, I'm not going to be like I am me, but I'm going to feel like Pastor Kaysen for a second, and I'm going to get a little bit teachy with you. <laughs> Only for the beginning. Only for the beginning. And then, and then I'm going to pastor you the rest of the way. Is that okay? I have a lot to share. And I'm going to have to see if I can squeeze it in. We're all day. We are here all day. You're right. All right. Matthew 5, verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. They shall be satisfied. Pastor Kaysen said something a few weeks ago that I want to bring up again because it's really important. And it's become a staple in our theology and our speech regarding inheritance. He said, each man lives according to the revelation of his inheritance. I'm going to add a little bit more color to that through some revelation to this statement. Now that we all have a revelation of what our inheritance is in some form or fashion. I'd like to say this morning that each man flourishes and prospers within his inheritance according to his level of satisfaction with his inheritance. Amplified, amplified that sucker. Each man flourishes and prospers within his inheritance according to his level of satisfaction with his inheritance. Let me walk you through this Matthew 5 passage just for a second. For those of you taking notes, I'm going to throw a few strong numbers, strong's numbers at you. That word for hunger in the Greek is Strong's number G3983. And I'm going to do my best. It says Pinao. An American trying to speak Greek. Pinao. Simply put, this means to hunger, but more importantly, it means to crave ardently and to seek with eager desire. Crave ardently and seek with eager desire. That's hunger. The word for thirst that Jesus uses in Matthew 5 is G1372. It is dipsao. This means to suffer from thirst. Those who are said to thirst who painfully feel their want of and eagerly long for those things by which the soul is refreshed, supported, and strengthened. That's what Jesus means when he says thirst. Lastly, the word righteousness, this is not new to us. It's G1343. Oh, man. Dekayasune. That sounds more Greek than the other ones did. Dekayasune means the virtue, quality, or state of one who is. The state of him who is as he ought to be. Righteous. 
So we have hunger, which means to seek with eager desire, to crave. We have thirst, which means to suffer from your thirst, to painfully feel your want of whatever you're thirsting for. And then we have righteous, being exactly who you ought to be in Christ Jesus. So let's put all those together. I didn't make a slide for this, but I'm going to read it to you. With what we just read, amplifying that again. Matthew 5 really reads, Blessed or happy are those who crave and seek with eager desire and painfully feel their want of being exactly who they ought to be in me. Those people shall be satisfied. Those people shall be satisfied. You see how I'm doing this already? I'm giving you the answer to the question you did not know you needed to ask. I'm giving you the answers to the question of why can't I get no satisfaction? Each man flourishes and prospers within his inheritance according to his level of satisfaction with it. Our level of satisfaction with our inheritance now will dictate how we operate within it. And at this point, we're no longer questioning things like whether we have an inheritance or not or what do we do within it. Nor are we even questioning if we're living in it. This morning, I'm asking how you're living in it. Are you living in it to the fullest extent? Or are you having a hard time being satisfied with it? Are you following me? Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 16. That's where we're going to start this morning. That's where we ended last week. We're going to pick right back up in Psalm 16. Satisfaction. Present tense. Psalm 16, we're going to read the whole thing. It's not very long. Psalm 16, verse 1 says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night, my heart also instructs me. I have set the Lord before me, and because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is a very familiar, familiar passage that lots of us in this room hold close because it helps rightly align us with the Father and get our motives and our heart posture in order with His. Now, for those of you who participated in Torah class, at Pastor Kaysen's house 
feels like several years ago now. It's probably only been two or three. You were introduced to something called the reality of duality. And for those of you who don't know what that is, talk to Pastor Kaysen. He will explain it better than I ever could. I'm saying that to say there's so much more that I want to say regarding Psalm 16 that this is not necessarily today the platform for, because I think you'll miss the point of what I'm really getting at. But I'm not saying it's not fun. So my encouragement to you is to go home or if you really want to have fun and talk to your pastors about it in between church and fellowship time, you can go home and look at the inner linear of Psalm 16. You will be challenged. You will be stunned and you will be blessed by that. And we'd love to talk to you later about it. Just not right now. Saint Psalm 16 shows us that living within our inheritance should look like that constantly choosing him as your portion in your cup constantly being satisfied within your boundary lines enjoying the entirety of your beautiful inheritance blessing the lord at all times man wasn't worship good when we just let go of everything and we just started blessing the lord doesn't that just make you come alive you think that praying and begging the lord to take the shame and the shackles and the embarrassment of whatever sin you fell into this week actually helps when really if you just magnify his name everything else just falls off it sets you in the right heart posture to then be able to receive the freedom that he's trying to give you but you're getting in the way of blessing the lord who counsels us regarding how to walk in the inheritance setting the lord always before us knowing that we cannot ever be moved when we sit with him at his right hand. Therefore, my heart is glad. It is satisfied. Again, go over this passage in your own time, but I do want to reread verse 11 and give you just a really small nugget only to benefit us as we move forward. Verse 11 says, You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That word for presence in the Hebrew is panim, face. Come on, Dylan Hutchinson. Panim. The word for fullness in the Hebrew is soba. It means satisfaction. Face to face with Yahweh is where true satisfaction is found. And the fruit of that satisfaction is joy. In Yahweh's face is satisfaction at its fullness. It's the fullest amount of satisfaction you will ever find. It's in his eyes. It's in his face. Looking into his eyes gives you satisfaction. You look to the left and the right, your brothers and sisters, but if you look at Yahweh's face, you will find the fullest form of satisfaction that you have found. There is so much to be satisfied with within the kingdom. So much. But the reality of the situation is that most of the time, we still have a hard time finding ourselves fully satisfied with what the Lord's given to us right now. Hear me. I'm presenting you a question this morning. The question is this. If the word says that I am supposed to receive satisfaction as part of my inheritance, which I just showed you it does, then why do I not ever seem to be satisfied? 
It's the question you might not know you needed to ask, but you've been feeling it. You've been feeling weary. You've been feeling like you're missing out on something, feeling like you're lacking something. You've been wanting something, something other than what's been given to you. Why can't I get no satisfaction? What's the next line? I try and I try and I try and I try. And then whatever Pastor Mike's saying, I don't know the rest. Look, we can talk about not being satisfied because you're too busy with impure motives, trying to get worldly gain, righteousness isn't enough for you, but I don't think that's many of you in this room. I think most of you in this room today are on the other side of the coin, and it looks like not being satisfied with today's inheritance because it doesn't yet involve the godly things that the Lord promised you that aren't here yet. Therefore, it's taking your eyes off what's now and it's putting them on what's to come regardless of whether they're good or bad. Regardless of whether they're good or bad. Both of those things, worldly gain and that right there, cause you to fail to thrive within your inheritance. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6. That'll be on the screen as well. You can go ahead and turn there. 1 Timothy 6. First Timothy 6, we're going to start in verse 3. It says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produces envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions and constant friction among the people who are depraved in mind and depraved of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means to gain. Godliness is a means to gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. There's worldly gain that you think will satisfy and I guarantee you it'll fall right through your fingers. You'll never be able to hold to it. But godliness with Peace, godliness with satisfaction is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Food and clothing, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Remember what I'm saying. When, I, when I'm saying, remember, uh, those who desire to be rich. I'm not, I'm, I don't know what Paul's meaning. I'm not saying worldly rich. Remember, you can desire to be rich within the kingdom with the, for the promises that he has not given you yet. And that can be a temptation to you. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Wow. Christians. He's talking to Timothy about Timothy's church. A bunch of Christians, a bunch of children of God, this applies to them. Why does it not apply to us? For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs or griefs. Wow, who, many who are satisfied, dissatisfied, and filled with temptations 
falling into senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. All of which stems from the root of dissatisfaction. You're going to hear this a lot today. Dissatisfaction, think about this for a second. Dissatisfaction is dangerous. It is dangerous. Verse 2 of Psalm 16 told us that we have no good apart from him. That the only good that we have in this room is from him. Which means what? Everything we produce with our hands cannot be called good. It cannot be called good because only he is good. What did Jesus say to the rich young ruler? What do I have to do? Good teacher, what do I have to do? Why do you call me good? Only the Father in heaven is good. Not even what I have. Jesus is good. I only do what I see my Father doing, he who is good. You will never be able to produce good with your hands. Everything you've been given is from him. Dissatisfaction with the good he's given us right now is like a slap in the face to Yahweh. Think about this illustration for a second as I was thinking about this. Think of if you're a parent, your child at Christmas, if you're a sibling, hopefully you weren't that child, but maybe your siblings were. If you're an aunt or an uncle, your nieces or nephews, whatever. Think of children at Christmas. Man, a beautiful time to receive gifts. But what happens, let's say there's, I have a three-year-old, it's, it's applicable. Let's say my three-year-old wants a big fancy set of train tracks he saw on an ad of a YouTube TV show that he likes. He's like, wow, I want those train tracks. And there's a specific fixture in that set of train tracks that he wants. But if I go to him for, at Christmas and get him that set of train tracks, and it doesn't happen to have that one fixture in it that he wanted, it was like a special edition or something, it doesn't have that one fixture, I got him the whole freaking box of train tracks. But he's not satisfied with it. Because he wanted the one thing in all of it. What is the one thing that you want that you don't have yet? The one thing you want that you don't have yet. It's different for everybody. Some people, it's multiple things. But if I gave Judah a train track and the one fixture was missing, he would be dissatisfied. He would be disappointed. It would be like a slap in the face to me saying, screw you, screw this gift. I don't appreciate it. It's not what I wanted. It's not what I wanted. That's like a slap in the face to your father. When you say that to the Lord, or when you walk in that heart posture, you are slapping him across the face saying, what you've given does not satisfy me now. I need something more. Paul says that godliness with contentment is great gain. If contentment and satisfaction are parts of the inheritance we are to walk in, why do we find ourselves never being fully satisfied? Why can't I get no satisfaction? Have you found yourself wrestling with that question in the recent weeks? I know some of you specifically have been wrestling with that question in the past specific weeks based on some conversations we've had this week about some of these topics. Discontentment and dissatisfaction with the promise now will cause you to compromise and be severely lacking in your stewardship of your inheritance. It will never be for you what it's supposed to be, and it won't be because the Lord hasn't given you everything you need for life and godliness. It'll be because you are puffed up and you think you need more than what he says is enough. 
That's why it won't come through for you. Consider Abraham when the writer of Hebrews 11 recalls his story. Hebrews 11, 8 through 12 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of the promised in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By Sarah herself, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Think about what would have happened if Abraham had become dissatisfied with the way the inheritance looked when he first received it. Think about that. He received an unfulfilled inheritance. Not in the sense that it's not perfect for you now, just that it's not everything it's going to be. But it has everything you need now, for right now. It's perfect for you right now. But it's still missing something. But if Abraham looked at it that way and was not satisfied, what would have happened? What would have happened if Abraham and Sarah had become impatient in the waiting for their child? And they waited a long time. And they became dissatisfied in the waiting. Being frustrated, they didn't have the fullness of the promise now that was promised to them at a determined time. What would have happened? Generations later, we see what the Lord says will happen when his sons and daughters are dissatisfied with their inheritance. Turn to Deuteronomy 8. Say satisfied when you get there. Deuteronomy 8, starting in verse 2, says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Do you remember what Paul was telling Timothy in 1 Timothy 6? But if we have food and we have clothing, with these we will be content. Sounds like Paul learned from the Torah. The Lord is telling his sons, Israel, He's telling them, look, I have kept you under the shadow of my wing all these 40 years so that I may know you and you may know me. You may know my face and I might know yours. I caused you to hunger. That place that you're hungry in and you're wondering why, yeah, I put you there. I put you there and I kept you from being able to satisfy yourself 
only so you would know that it is I who supernaturally satisfy you with everything that you need and that you would realize what you have now is enough. My bread, the clothes on your back, and your well-being are enough to be satisfied with. But why do we never find ourselves satisfied? Before we can rightly continue in Deuteronomy 8, we must first realize that everything he's given us up until now has been enough. It's our own maturity and discontentment that causes us to always feel frustrated. It causes us to always feel like we're missing out on something. It causes us to always feel like we're just not where we need to be or that we're lacking something. We're found wanting all the time, never fully satisfied. God is telling his sons in Deuteronomy and he's telling you in this room today, I have what you have, I have had you where you needed to be this entire time. Stop focusing on what's to come or what you don't have. Enjoy the now and just be. What did Matthew 5, 6 say? Blessed are those who are content with being, for they will be satisfied. Right now, be who you ought to be. Be the righteousness of Christ. Be satisfied with it. And he will abundantly bless you with satisfaction you can't find in the backyard of your house. If we not learn to simply just be, then you will not benefit from your inheritance now and you will not benefit from what you want to receive that is good for you later. Even though you think that if you had it now, it'd be all good. I promise you it's not. And I can tell you that because the scripture says it. And I've experienced it. Pastor Kaysen and Pastor Devin probably know it the best. I lived in a house with Pastor Kaysen and his wife, Pastor Devin and his wife, four single ladies and my wife and three dogs and babies and constantly guests in and out the door. But that's not the point. There was a point in that time, probably it was two years ago, something like that. And there was a point in time where I can't remember if it actually was, but it sure as heck felt like every single living, breathing soul, including the dogs and my kids in the house worked for kingdom contracting. (laughs) The dog was on kingdom contracting social media. My kid was the poster boy. And like my brother Caleb, I worked at Adam's Exterminating. Which, hey, is not a bad job. You just kill bugs. It's hot. But they're amazing coworkers. There's godly bosses. It's a godly atmosphere. It's a staple in the community. You couldn't ask for much more. It just wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't what I wanted. And I whined and I cried and a bunch of words I can't say that I did. And I complained for days and nights about not being able to, my own wife worked with them. And I could not, I just, the Lord did not open the freaking door, man. And praise the Lord, I had brothers who didn't either because the Lord was trying to show me something. He was trying to show me something. I wanted something so bad, I could taste it in the air. I lived in the house. The office was in the house. 
I couldn't escape it. I come home for lunch. I'm standing face to face with all of them, laughing, working, having a grand time. I got to go hop in this truck and drive by myself for the next five hours. Don't awe me. The Lord used it. The Lord was working. The Lord was working. But it frustrated me to hell and back, man. It frustrated me. I was so dissatisfied with what the Lord was asking me to do right now, with the field that he had me cultivating right now. That was part of my inheritance in that time of my life. But I didn't see it that way. It's like, man, this sucks. Why can't I be with brothers? Why can't I be in unity? How good and pleasant when brothers dwell in unity. I was pulling everything out of my butt. Like, Lord, your own word says this. He's like, that's not it for you right now. But there was a time that came, praise the Lord, when I decided, I don't even remember making, I do not remember making the active switch in my head, but I, I know I did. And there was a switch that happened. And I just was okay with what I was doing. I just got sad. I was like, Lord, you win. I'm not doing this anymore. And what I waited a year and a half for, two weeks later, he opened the door. Two weeks later, he opened the door. <laughs> are you kidding? Thank you, Lord. You are good. Two weeks later, after waiting a year and a half. But listen, we're about to continue in Deuteronomy 8, but we cannot continue in Deuteronomy 8 until, again, we know deep down that everything he's given us now is worth the satisfaction that it brings. Let's continue in Deuteronomy 8. Starting in back in verse 6, it says, Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and the hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you win, you have eaten and satisfied. Praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God failing to observe his commands. And his laws and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and you settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, man, these promises keep multiplying. And all you have is multiplied. Then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of land of slavery. Did you catch why it was so important that Yahweh in the beginning of Deuteronomy 8 had to make it clear that what you have now is enough? Because if he didn't make that clear, Everything we just read in those eight verses would become your focus because it's so much better than what you're living in now. He said, everything you have is enough. Everywhere I've brought you through is enough. Even if all you had was clothes, sandals on your feet, and manna from heaven, that was enough. Now watch, I'm going to give you this scroll worth of things that are coming for you. And they are amazing. But they're not right now. But notice... And what, for those grammatical freaks in here, 
Notice what tense the Lord is speaking in. I am bringing you into a good land. It's in the future, but he's working it out now. I am bringing you into a land with all that you could ever ask or want. I am bringing you to a place where you won't lack anything. Switch when you are satisfied and are eating and have eaten. No, sorry. When you have eaten and are satisfied. He's speaking in present, and the only word he uses in the future tense is when. Even then, he's promising it's going to happen. But I can't bring you into something where you're already eating the goodness of what's coming. I can bring, I can actively currently bring you there, but I cannot actively currently let you feed on that right now because it's not good for you yet. But it will be, just not right now. Yet even right now, there's nothing that you lack because you're right where you're supposed to be. But what does the Lord say will happen in that day when you receive the many promises he's giving you if you neglect them and ignore them? Verses 19 and 20 tell us, if you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord, for not being satisfied, for forgetting me after you've waited so long. After you've been satisfied this whole time, I am expecting you to be satisfied with everything I have from now till I come back because it's all enough. And as soon as you're not, that's a bad place to be. If you once received, if once you've received what he's given you and you ignore and neglect being exactly who you ought to be before me, Yahweh, regardless of what you hold in your hand, you will surely perish. You won't succeed. You won't thrive. You won't be able to just be. That being said, are you not thankful for the promises the Lord has given you that are yet to be fulfilled? Because you should be. They shouldn't be scary. They shouldn't cause you to be dissatisfied. They couldn't, shouldn't cause you to heartbreak. They're exciting. And you know what they do? They give you an opportunity to be faithful in the waiting while thriving now in the inheritance at the same time, knowing truly that you do not lack any good thing. Psalm 34 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good and blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. The word is clear, as we've shown, that contentment and satisfaction are part of your inheritance as a child of God and a co-heir with Christ. The word's also clear that even right now, as you're breathing in these seats, you do not lack any good thing. So again, why do we find ourselves wanting? It's like a never-ending rabbit trail. At this point, it's not a matter of valuing the inheritance. Let me make that clear. It is not a matter of valuing your inheritance. We've talked a lot about the value of inheritance. Right now, we're not talking about the revelation of having one. We're not talking about valuing it. Because here's what I think. I think we can partly value our inheritance and still not yet be fully satisfied. 
Does that make sense? Like you can have kids and you value your kids. They are an inheritance given to you by Yahweh himself and you can value them. But if you're not satisfied with them, does that mean you don't love them? Not usually. Usually you find some value in your kids. Some, if you're in the shoes I'm speaking of, which I am not, praise the Lord. If you're in those shoes, you might find some value, but they might not please you all the time. They might not bring joy to your heart all the time. They might, you might not be satisfied with them all the time, but you should be because God gave you them. You should be. You can value something and not be fully satisfied at the same time. That's not a good place to be either. Not a good place to be either. Because we, we still find ourselves wanting more. Most of us aren't in the place of wanting to throw away what we do have for the sake of God, ungodly gain. We talked about that. But we still might be in a place where we're finding ourselves telling the Lord that what he has given us is not enough. Turn to 1 Samuel 8. First Samuel 8, starting in verse 1. It says, When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the rest of the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. It offended him. He had to go to the Lord. It offended Samuel. He went to the Lord, and the Lord asked to Samuel, and said, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. For they have rejected me from being king over them, refusing to be satisfied with what the Lord has given you. Even if it really is just the food on your table, the clothes on your back, and your king himself will always lead you astray and cause you to turn aside after the things that someone else next to you has that you don't have did you notice why israel wanted a king you can make an argument there's a righteous answer in there that says well your sons aren't walking with the lord so we need someone who will they can't continue your heritage they're blowing it so give us a king but really why it says because all the other nations have one israel wasn't supposed to be like the rest of the nations Israel was supposed to be distinct, 
a holy people, a set-apart people, solidified with the Lord. And they were asking for what someone else has. What are you asking for that your neighbor has? That the Lord has given them, but has not given to you yet. Are you asking for something that is not in its right timing? You need to be careful because we're about to see why. What if for you, it's not worldly gain and it's not money. It's not fame or popularity. Again, what if it's godly? Personally, in this room, for those of you here, what if it's babies he's promised you that you don't have yet? What if it's spouses he's promised you that you don't have yet? What if it's jobs or career changes that he's promised you or that you feel like he's leading you in, but it's not here yet? Family members coming into the kingdom that aren't here yet. Relationships restored that haven't happened yet. What about a growth in the function of the body of Christ that you aren't seeing yet? The point is that it can be many things. And they don't have to be bad. They can be godly things. But if they take your eyes off the Father now and cause us to be dissatisfied with where we're at now, we'll never, ever be able to walk in the abundance of satisfaction that is promised within the inheritance for right now. Continuing in 1 Samuel to see what it leads to. Picking up in verse 10. It says, so Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his servants. He will take your male servants and your female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But even after all that, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us. Right now, we want one. That we may still be like everybody else. All the other nations that our king may judge us and go out and fight for us our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice make them a king. They're going to get what they want. Saints, listen. Those things you desire now might not be bad, but you need to be careful. 
Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of your time now, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. It is not past the Lord to give you the things that you are begging for. It didn't happen with me in my situation, but it happened with the Israelites. It's a, it, that one story, and there's plenty more, but that one story is a proven track record that it can happen. Even if it's outside his timing. If he gives you those things that you aren't ready for, you're going to find it way more difficult to walk in those things than if you waited on them. Why would he even give them in the first place? He will give them to you so that he might bring you back full circle. You're taking the long road, but he's going to let you do it so that you might come back full circle and realize that he was all you needed all along. That when you fall on your face, you get back up, look into his eyes, and he tells you, I was it the whole time. And if you just would have trusted me, I would have given you what you asked for then. In my timing. You don't want that if you're not ready for it. You do not want it if you're not ready for it. The Israelites are begging for a king so they can be like every other nation. The Lord was their king. They were supposed to be set apart. They didn't need anyone else. They were supposed to be different. But the Lord honored their wishes. And the beautiful thing in him honoring their wishes, he even had the grace to give them Saul. He could have given them a sloppy king, a mean king, a bad one. He gave them Saul. Saul was not a bad king to start anyways. He was not a bad king. You could make the argument that Saul had the opportunity to be everything David later was. Saul stepped into the same shoes David was standing in. Before David, there was Saul. David stepped in because the man God chose to make king, whom he gave the opportunity to, became dissatisfied and wanted to do it his way. Outside the boundary lines the Lord gave him. There's the other side of the coin. You guys remember Esau? Jacob and Esau? Esau sold his entire inheritance and the rights that came with it for a single meal. Hebrews also says that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing that he just gave away, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. Could not do it. Once you have given up your inheritance for the sake of something else, you might not get it back. And someone else might fill your shoes and you're going to have to live with that the rest of your life. The, someone else doing what you were created to do. It doesn't mean the Lord won't meet you where you're at and give you something else to do. It just might not be what you're supposed to do now. The blessings you could receive, you're watching someone else receive those blessings. We don't want to be those people. And I know every one of you in this room are not those people. We are ones who are growing and learning to be satisfied with the now. How important is it to be satisfied within our boundary lines right now? Psalm 16 is not a prophecy waiting to be fulfilled. It's not. It's a present time psalm 
for all of us to feed from and walk in right now. Right now, your boundary lines are in pleasant places. Right now, your inheritance is beautiful and it's all that you need. It's all that you need. Not that the Lord won't give you more, but right now you have enough. Psalm 23, 1 says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. I shall not be found wanting. Why? Because I am fully satisfied with what he's given me now. I am excited for the blessings and promises to come, to be fulfilled, but I'm still fully satisfied now. And they are not distracting me because it's where he put me right now. And he knows me better than I know myself. You know that Jonathan David Heltzer song, that lyric? Oh, the one who knows me best is the one who loves me most. You have a loving father who knows everything about you, including what's good for you and what's not. What's good now and what's good later. We're going to start working towards a close. We're not there yet. We're working towards it. Listen, until the things that we do not yet hold in our hands are not dominating our thoughts, and until we allow the things we do not yet have to rather build our faith and our trust in Yeshua while we wait for them, we will always find ourselves dissatisfied with our current portion, whether we value it or not. When the things you don't have are on the forefront of your mind, they keep you from thinking about the now. And until they are somewhere back here and not right here, and you put them back in the trust basket, and you trust the Lord with those promises that he's definitely given, and he definitely will fulfill, but they're not here yet. You focus on what's in front of you right now. You cultivate that soil, man. You cultivate that soil, and you bleed for it because it's what he's given you to work for now. You want that blessing right now. It will never be enough to satisfy if you think about the things you don't have. Your inheritance was always meant to completely satisfy, causing you to realize that you don't lack any good thing, even if there are more good things to come down the road. Look, these are beautiful times we live in. Look at how far we've come. Remnant Church, five years in the fifth year. Five years of faithful work of the Lord. That all of us at some point, whether in the past six months or the past five years, have gotten to participate in. That's a blessing. There's a reason we don't have a building on the front of this one yet. There's a reason we don't have five houses built yet. There's a reason we don't have elders and pastors and church plants from Remnant Church and all these. But there's a reason we don't have them yet. There's a reason there's not four times as many people in this room as there are right now. Because everything is in the Lord's timing. If we asked for those things, we best be careful. He might as well give them to us. If you ask for 400 people to show up next week, he might do it. And we will not be ready for it. There's a reason that he has blessed us as much as he has. It's not that we've got, always gotten it right. It's that like David, we are men of his own heart and David wasn't perfect. He was the replacement for Saul, but he was not perfect. 
The difference between David and Saul is when David fell down, he got back up. Saul stayed down, whined about it, and eventually fell on his own sword. David got up, said, I was wrong. Every time, and the, and the Bible is not short on all of his failures. He's got a lot of them. But every time he got up and he said, Lord, I was wrong. You are my cup. You are my portion. You are my boundary lines. You are my beautiful inheritance. And that is enough. The Lord doesn't care how many times you fall from here on out as long as you get up. And I promise you, the more you focus on him, the less you'll fall. And the more you will become all you're supposed to be right now. Turn with me back to 1 Timothy 6. We're going to pick up where we left off in verse 11. Only a few more scriptures and we're done. Verse 11 to 1 Timothy 6. Verse 11, but as for you, man of God, flee these things. Pause. What things? We read them earlier in 1 Timothy 6. Being puffed up with conceit, understanding nothing, unhealthy cravings for controversy, envy, slander, strife, dissension, evil suspicions, and constant friction, desiring to be rich, the good kind or the bad kind senseless and harmful desires that lead to ruin and destruction, loving money, craving all kinds of other ungodly things. Flee those things and turn around and pursue righteousness. Did you notice before we read the rest of those off? Righteousness. What did Matthew 5 say? Hunger and thirst to be exactly who you are supposed to be. Step one in avoiding all those things we just mentioned, just be. Just be who you're supposed to be right now. Quit thinking about what's coming and be right now. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Take hold of the eternal life. Take hold of the inheritance to which you were called. Take hold of the inheritance. That's step two in avoiding the things earlier mentioned. Step one, be who you're supposed to be. Righteousness first. Step two, now run with that inheritance. Grab it and go. Don't wait. Don't be dissatisfied. Realize who you're supposed to be right now. Take it and thrive in it. Skip down to verse 20. I put the whole thing in there, but... It, John, Kiar, if you don't mind skipping down to verse 20 for me. Verse 20. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Step three. Guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Hear me. There are three steps. The first one was just being. Avoid those things and pursue one thing first. Be who you're supposed to be. 
After that, go get your inheritance. After that, guard it with your life. Guard it. You want to know what that looks like? These are Paul's, think about this. These words right here, 20 and 21, are the last things Paul will write to Timothy before he writes his second letter. And I'm not a theologian. I didn't Google it. You can't, I don't know how long it was for between the time of his first and second letter, but I imagine it was a while knowing that it had to take however long to get there in the first place. So there was a period of time between his first and second letter. And in that gap of time, Paul wanted him to, Paul ended with one thing that was important to Paul that Timothy made sure he got. Be who you're supposed to be, get your inheritance, and guard it. That's what he wanted to leave Timothy with. You know what irreverent babble and contradiction of what is called false knowledge looks like? This is going to be fun. Modern day. When someone comes up to you and says, honey, y'all have waited so long. Y'all have waited long enough to have kids. You should start seeking medical attention to look into having kids right now. Avoid it. False knowledge. Guard the inheritance entrusted to you. When someone says, you know what? Go get that job you wanted. Whatever vision the Lord gave you, go get it right now. You've, you've had your job long enough. It's time for you to let your wings out and grow. Don't do it. Avoid it. False knowledge. Guard the deposit. Guard the inheritance entrusted to you right now. When someone comes up to you, single men and women, and they say, man, you're too old to be waiting any longer. You've waited a long time. You need to get married already. Go get yourself a spouse. What you waiting for? Avoid it. False knowledge. Guard that deposit. Guard that inheritance. When someone comes up to you and says, don't you know that you can start operating in that function you're waiting on right now? There's an open spot in my leadership at church down the road. We have an opening right now. We have a for hire sign in our front lawn. Right now, you could be the leader that you always thought you needed to be. False knowledge. Don't do it. Avoid it. Grow now. Wait on it. Guard the inheritance entrusted to you. When someone comes up to you and says, hey, I'm going to the nations tomorrow. I know you said you're still in the waiting and you're still looking for that green light from the Lord. But I have an extra one-way ticket right now. You sure you don't want to go? Avoid it. False knowledge. Guard your inheritance given to you. The Lord either promised you what he promised you or he did not. He either promised you what he promised you or he did not. If he didn't, those things don't apply to you. You then have to consider if you're even in the will of the Lord because he makes his promises known to his sons. He either promised you or he didn't. And I'm here to tell you that he did. I'm also here to tell you that he knows what's best for you right now in his timing. We aren't in the business of being trust fund babies where everything is handed to us by other people. We don't take handouts. We bleed and we sweat and we earn it and the Lord blesses it with us because it is our joy to allow him to do so and it's his joy to do it. We're sons, not trust fund babies. 
Sons are satisfied within their inheritance now. Sons wait on promises to be fulfilled in the Lord's timing with joy and eager expectation while waiting, being satisfied. Doesn't mean what's coming isn't amazing. And I'm not saying you shouldn't get excited. You shouldn't pray for it. You shouldn't thank the Lord in advance for it, but be satisfied now. Don't let it distract you. Guard what you have now with your life. Because we take hold of the inheritance with full satisfaction, we guard it. We guard the inheritance entrusted to us because we love the one who gave it to us. And we want to please him more than anything else. Guard the deposit entrusted to you, O Timothy. Remnant Church, guard the inheritance entrusted to you. Guard it from the outside whispers telling you that you can have it your way now instead of waiting on God to fulfill his promise. He promised it or he didn't. And I'm telling you, he did. God isn't waiting for you to fail so he can replace you with somebody else who won't. That might have been what happened to Saul, but it was Saul's own doing. God chose that. God was faithful to raise up another. But Saul chose for himself to fail. God's not waiting on you to fail. He doesn't have a plan B. You're it. You are plan A and there is only one plan. You are plan A, so let's get it right. We don't want to have to ask the Lord to cover for our mistakes when we fall off over here and he has to raise someone else to do what we were meant to do. I'm not satisfied with that for me. I'm not satisfied with someone having to do what I'm supposed to do. You don't want to, you don't want to work through those feelings after that happens. He's not waiting on you to fail. He gave it to you with the full expectation that you would be satisfied and you would thrive in it. We have one more verse, but everyone can stand. Put Matthew 5 back on the screen for me. Matthew 5, 6. I'm going to read it for what we discovered it actually says. You can follow along on the screen with how Jesus said it, but I'm going to read it in the language Jesus meant it. Blessed or happy are those who crave and seek with eager desire and painfully feel their want of being exactly who they ought to be in me. For those people shall be satisfied. Craving Hungering, seeking with an eager desire, painfully, painfully feeling. It hurts so good. It hurts so good. Painfully feeling their want to be exactly who they're supposed to be in Christ right now. Not later, right now. For then you will be satisfied. Why can't I get no satisfaction? Probably because this isn't at the forefront of your heart. When this becomes the center, everything else he wants to give you is actually a blessing to you, and it does not hinder you. It does not become harder than it needs to be. It's actually a blessing. Then you will find the fullness of satisfaction. All of us have a lot apportioned to us within our inheritance. A lot of us have kids. A lot of us have spouses. A lot of us have family, sons, daughters, brothers, sisters, remnant church, we all have something to be thankful for that's more than the clothes on our back, the food on our table, 
and the king himself. We're not there. The Israelites were there. We're not there. We have more than enough. But at the least, and probably the most important, your inheritance is to be satisfied with exactly who you're meant to be, even if that's all you have right now. Until you let yourself be satisfied there, you'll always find yourself wanting. This is where the realest satisfaction you will ever feel starts. It's also where it ends. Because everything he gives you between the time you were born and the time you die, Paul says we take nothing back with us. What we do when we get there is we get to gaze at Yahweh's face. And in his face is satisfaction. Amen. Y'all pray with us. Mighty God, we thank you this morning, Lord, for your presence. We thank you, Lord, that you have come to dwell with us this morning, Father. Lord, I thank you for working on our hearts. I thank you for showing us areas in which we fall short. I thank you for showing us areas where we still want and we still desire things that might be good, they might be godly, but they're not for right now. I thank you that you're going to replace that desire and want with an excitement and a joy of what's to come, waiting with eager expectation, but never losing sight of the now. Because what you have given us now is beautiful, Lord. What you have given us now is beautiful, and it is more than we could ever ask or think or need. What you've given us now is beautiful, even if it's just your face. If we could just have your face, Lord, if we could just look you in the eyes, that is enough for us. We say this morning, that is enough for us, Lord. That will satisfy. Everything else is just an additional blessing, and we thank you for those. But you are enough, Yahweh. You are enough, Lord. Lord, I pray that you'd bless my family and friends on the way out, Lord, that you would bless them with the things to come. And you would cause them to be blessed now within their inheritance, Lord, as we continue learning what it is to be, to have an inheritance in the kingdom, what it means to walk in it. Lord, thank you that we get to walk in it rightly, Lord, that we get to glorify you every step of the way, that we get to get up and turn around when we get it wrong, repent and keep moving forward, having grown more in the process. Lord, thank you for the many blessings that we have. I thank you for all the blessings to come, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, and we love you.